Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're gonna take a look at three movies. Neon Demon, Tickled, and Free State of Jones. As always, we're gonna rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge it being the highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Ooh. Jason, what is up with you? Thank you for asking. It's a crazy time right now, guys. The Frameline LGBT Film Festival is happening in San Francisco. Um, I've just come from doing an interview um, as part of it with the actress Brita Wool, who played Faith on Unreal Season 1. She has a movie playing there on Saturday night. I was with Clea Duvall talking to her about her directorial debut. That's going to be coming up on the show later on. Heady times, heady times. And uh, last night, actually, unrelated to the world of entertainment, I <laughs> read at an event in San Francisco called Write Club. Uh, which is a competitive uh, writing thing um, where <laughs> where si- like a true writer six right <laughs> where six writers um, go head to head and read these seven word long pieces they've written and then they're judged by the audience to see who wins and who's better and uh, so I read a piece about my mother's time spent as what I later realized was a drag queen in the early nineties <laughs> a character named Frida Floodwater. And uh, if you want to hear that piece, you just let me know and I'll send it your way. It's seven words long? Uh, no, it's seven minutes long. Oh, seven minutes yeah, take, long. Yeah, it has to take seven minutes to read or they cut you off. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh, and, wow. And then you're judged. You're given a prompt. Um, I my, my prompt word was parade. My competitor's word was shade. Oh. And I thought shade would win, but I won, guys. You won? I won my category. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, oh. So... Very exciting times. I have a little trophy. And it was actually the final right club in San Francisco. So now I can't Aww. even come back later and be like, hey, guys, I'm a previous winner. Now I ran it right to the ground. Yeah, but you're ending up on top. That's right. One of the last winners. Just like if, you know, the NBA, like, capsizes tomorrow, then exactly. the Cavs will be the last ever what winner. What a wonderful segue to what is up yes. with me. Yes, what is up with you, Rebecca? I keep promising it's going to be the last time I talk about basketball, but it's not. You're a um, goddamn liar I guess always. it just means that I don't, didn't have any faith in the Cavs because I kept thinking it was going to be over. <laughs> sooner uh, but the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA champs uh, first time in like 52 years that any Cleveland team has brought home any sort of uh, championship it has been uh, an amazing ride a wonderful season of basketball and now it's over officially do you have the blues do you have postseason depression a little bit when we were watching it uh, I was watching it with my wife and a, and a close friend uh, who were Cleveland fans because we didn't want to like go out into the bay at all because either way it would have been bad mm. so we watched it and we were like freaking out and yelling and then we're like okay now what now oh. what do you do um i was sad i wasn't able to go to the parade in cleveland today oh, yeah. i thought about it it just i yeah. almost just you, bought a ticket you have last all night. these plans you start to make in your head about going to cleveland just to I celebrate do. and they haven't come to fruition they haven't, they haven't and instead you're just hidden away here trying not to go out to bars because you know you'll punch somebody exactly because rebecca's a puncher guys i feel like we've talked about this before but mm-hmm. she can be she can she can get she can get a little a little a little handsy in a very Don't vi- flatter me in a violent way no uh especially if you praise youth to her while she's been drinking <laughs> praise youth <laughs> 
<laughs> youth, the movie Youth. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, yeah, I did get a little handsy yeah. with that one. <laughs> a little bruisy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, well, I was very excited, and I believe I texted you something along the lines of congratulations about the sports. You did. Uh, I heard you watched the end of it. We did, actually. Wasn't it pretty engaging? It was very it, close. It was the best six minutes that were actually 45 minutes <laughs> of basketball I've ever seen. That's all we can ask for. Very exciting stuff. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to our movies. The first movie we're going to take a look at this week is Neon Demon. When aspiring model Jessie moves to Los Angeles, her youth and vitality are devoured by a group of beauty-obsessed women who will take any means necessary to get what she has. Beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. She has that thing. Look at Jessie. Who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat? I know what I look like. Women would kill to look like this. I'm so bummed I didn't get to see this movie with you. Yes, as am I. Very Mm -hmm. bummed. If I bummed, you mean furious. Furious. (laughs) Furious at your job. Furious at the substance of your days for keeping (laughs) it from me. I got reprimanded. I'm getting written up for not showing up, I think. Yeah, for yeah. You, from you. You're in trouble. Binge demerits. <laughs> I'm going to send it back. Oh. <laughs> um, how did it go? How did it go? The screening. Uh, well, it started off interestingly enough. Uh, so it was introduced. I've never seen this happen before in my, I don't know, like six or seven years of going to these press screenings out here in San Francisco. Um, they brought in somebody to introduce the movie, not just introduce it, but basically like prepare us for the what? movie. They brought in Jesse Hoff- the Gallagher show. Did they bring out like a so once poncho? we once we tiled that off, then mm-hmm. they brought in Jesse Hawthorne Fix, the guy who does Midnight's for Maniacs. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, and he teaches at um at the Art Institute or the Academy of Art, one of those faggy art schools, and. He was talking, he was there to basically uh, put us in the right mindset for Mm -hmm. what we were about to watch. So he was like, how many of you guys saw Drive? And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, what you need to know is that Nicholas Winding Refn hates that movie now. And he has been much more interested in pushing into experimental directions with film and playing with the idea of singularity and he wants his characters to be flat and to have no backstory and no depth and 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 so basically he was there to kind of do some quick brainwashing on us so that we would <laughs> so that if we did not like what we were about to watch that we would feel like idiots you knew what yeah yeah um like he talked about um he's like you know this is a really this is a really tough one to watch and have me reaction to um, you know, in, in critics, you know, you, you don't get to have, he then addressed the critics in the room. He was like, critics, you know, you guys have a, a challenge because you don't get to have 20 years to ruminate on these things. You have to have your, your reviews up and ready to go. And sometimes that means you're Roger Ebert giving zero stars to Blade Runner. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You just got you at every angle. You yeah. There's nothing you could do. You it was, yeah, we were, we were locked in. Like, if we didn't walk out of that movie theater praising the Neon Demon. You were Demon, an idiot, or we you were, were going to realize you're an idiot in 10 exactly. years. Exactly. So it was, uh, it was some, I've never seen anything like it before. Oh, yeah, this just uh, this uh, conditioning us to n- know what we were getting ourselves into, and then to think that it was fine art. Well, okay, so given that, I kind of want to cut some of the questions I've been thinking about and go one, two, quick summary of the movie is a woman goes to L.A. and gets literally and figuratively devoured by um, the fashion industry. 
Yes. Uh, so what did you think of it? Well, the main thing I was thinking when I was watching it was just how much it reminded me in year three, two, one of Mulholland Drive. It reminded me so much of Mulholland Drive about fashion instead of film. Uh, <laughs> just let her make those noises for a minute. Take it in. I need a paper bag. Let it out. Get you a towel. There it is. So... Uh, it, it really, you know, it has that, so not only does it have the commonality of being about sort of like a young blonde ingenue coming mm-hmm. to LA and getting into the entertainment industry, um, but, you know, just, just the general sort of, of dreaminess that sometimes turns into nightmareness, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, never really knowing for certain if what you're watching is, is happening in fact or in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's a mood movie and I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not as, uh, brilliant as Mulholland Drive ultimately is. I don't think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? You'll probably be wrong in 20 years. That's exactly. So, I mean, like, let's just stop the review there. <laughs> this is all, all invalid. <laughs> that binge years. it. It's put it in the freezer and take it out in 20 years yes. and you'll still like it. <laughs> uh, exactly. So we're talking about today guys, just today. So, uh, yeah. So it reminded me of Mulholland Drive. Um, and with that, and, you know, with that said, there are things about it that are true of Mulholland Drive that maybe are, will be frustrating for viewers, just mm-hmm. in terms of its general sort of vagueness and opaqueness, and um, you know, and then like Mulholland Drive, it's it's not really a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends on what your definition of fun is. But, okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think that you know, whenever uh, you know people were first seeing stuff about Neon Demon, we're like, okay, so it's a movie about like bitchy models tearing each other down, mm-hmm. and and it's going to be told with this opulent visual style. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's going to be fucking fabulous. And it's not really, it's not campy. It's not really a lot of fun. Oh. Um, you know, like Nicholas Winning Refn is not like a queer filmmaker. You know, he's not really going for the mm-hmm. camp value mm-hmm. here. Nor does he accidentally stumble upon it the way that Paul Verhoeven does in Showgirls. And that was a uh, <laughs> brief thing. Jesse Hawthorne Fix um, was saying something about, um, he brought up Showgirls. Um, and when he was talking about movies that like get critically reappraised. And he's like, you know, this movie will be uh, appreciated by people who understand that Showgirls is one of the greatest movies ever made. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, now, and I'm not talking about the way that when you all go to Peaches Christ's 20th anniversary of it next year, not that way. Oh, no. I'm talking about if you actually understand that, sh- that Showgirls was one of the smartest fucking movies of the 90s, then you might appreciate this. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. So this guy... Tense environment. It was a lot. It was a lot. And I was like, shots fired at Peaches mm-hmm. Christ. I mean, like, she and, and you know, of course, friend of the show, Peaches Christ. Friend of Christ, the show, yeah. Uh, and Jesse Hawthorne Fix have sort of been the two dueling midnight movie personalities mm-hmm, in San mm-hmm. Francisco for quite some time. Um, for over a decade. Uh, I, I think, he, think there's mo- mostly overlap with their audiences. Y- yeah, you would think so. And yet it seems like he, based on that, it seemed like he was speaking with some kind of shade. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that maybe he thinks that what he does is more academic. Um, and what she does is more like drag camp celebration. Hmm. Which, you know, there's something to that. Right. 
but you know, but Joshua, of course, is is you know can go to the very academic place with you in conversation. But As you've heard make, here on the show, exactly. But it doesn't make for a fun drag show. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so it's it's uh, it's not a super fun movie, uh, and you know, it's it's kind of joyless, and uh, but you just kind of have to go with it. I've never seen Showgirls. God damn it! I was going to say that. Um, so I guess even though comparisons to Drive are probably not uh, appreciated in Drive, um, it was Ryan Gosling. And in this movie, we have Elle Fanning and Mm -hmm. um, sort of looking at female beauty. Um, Is that a big part of the movie is is sort of like looking at these women and how beautiful they are? Or do they have agency? Are they objects? Well, I think every character in this movie is really flat and is very Mm. by design. Uh, so this is definitely not a story about um, empowerment in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, 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 it sort of is because when El, when Jesse Elfang's character arrives, she's very, very shy and very timid. Um, but then what happens is that she gradually realizes that she has this commodity of natural, pure beauty that is the hottest commodity. And the other girls don't have it. Theirs has been shaped by surgeons. Mm-hmm. And um, and so as soon as she really fully steps into that power of realizing that she is the one true beauty, uh, then she becomes the ultimate threat that must be destroyed. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's silly. It is, it's not really saying anything new that hasn't been said a million times before about, like, showbiz. Mm-hmm. Although I'm sure that Ruffin would reject that as, like, the message of his movie and reject the idea that the movie should have a message. Mm. You know, I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it's an exercise in, um, you know, it's an exercise in, in, in postmodern forms of storytelling and, and, uh, and all that fucking horse shit. Interesting. I guess it's interesting that this movie would come... That it comes with this preface, and this preface is actually from the director of of saying like what Mulholland Drive just was. Like you didn't have to explain. David Lynch didn't go to ends to explain what Mulholland Drive was, but it seems like there's this, and maybe it's just the way you had the movie int- introduced to you. Mm-hmm. But um, like making a point about what this movie is and isn't seems yeah like contrary to the idea of making a movie that is specifically kind of not about something yeah you know what i mean i feel like if we had not had that introduction because this was not just a press screening this was a press screening that was also widely attended by uh by people who get free passes to these things the pass holes <laughs> and uh and so i think that they were just like we need to bring this guy in too because we're gonna have like mass walkouts oh yeah. and he basically he also preemptively shamed anyone who even would consider walking out he was like if you do not stay till the last frame of a movie you cannot say that you have seen that movie because maybe the last stream is going to be something that changes the whole outlook you have on it. And maybe it will all snap into focus. He's like, and also, shame on any of you who are on your phones during the opening, during the end credits. Those are all people who worked in this movie and worked very, very hard. You don't want to see their names? You don't want to acknowledge them? Like, he was, yeah, he was, wow. he was, he was extra. Very tense. He was extra. Speaking of the names at the end, we have Christina Hendricks and Keanu Reeves in this movie. Any other standout? performances? Yes. And this is where you were the most sorely needed. So, Jenna Malone. Oh, this is where I wanted to say the movie. Okay. Jenna Malone plays a character. Uh, so, and I'll say this about Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone 
has this thing where she only picks movies where she gets at least one just horrifically mind-bendingly disturbing scene to play. <laughs> and if she only has one scene in a movie, but it gets to be really disturbing, she's fine with it. Into Cold it. Mountain. She had one really disturbing oh, yeah. scene and then she was gone. <laughs> uh, it's what she does. I mean, she's she, the go-to. She started off in Bastard out of Carolina. You oh, know, like yeah, well, she well. she loves pushing the buttons. And uh, even like in Inherent Vice, she has like one scene, and she in and and she makes Walking Phoenix break and scream. And Is like, that in the brothel? Uh, no, not in the brothel. He like goes to her house. Like she, her husband's the one who's missing. Oh yes, yes, yes. And she oh, shows. Yes, yes, she yes. shows in that picture, and yeah. he just screams. <laughs> uh, so anyway, in this, she is, and I, I will say, she is fantastic in this movie. She's far and away the most fascinating performance. Not just because of the way the character is written or not written, but because of just the way she plays it. She plays the character with this sort of weird, knowing confidence of a 70s best friend character. Okay. Um, and it's styled somewhat like that, too. Uh, but she's playing, and a lot of reviews have talked about this, a sort of a predatory lesbian uh, type mm-hmm. character. Oh, and that's why you wanted me to check in on it? Well, yes, but not, and, but, but not just any predatory lesbian. Um, it is... It's so... It's almost like he's daring you to call it offensive because it is so obviously so fucking insanely offensive um, <laughs> where they take this character. And um, basically, she culm- this, this culminates in... I'm trying to, to gauge while I'm speaking how much I want to say on the show and, you know, as a spoiler. Ooh, I want to say a few spoilers. A few spoilers. I, I I'll, just, I'll just say that she... Um, when her... Um, come on when her aggressive come on is rejected the way that she resorts to taking out that sexual frustration mm-hmm. is one of the most just trollishly disturbing scenes you will ever see in your entire life wow um and uh and it's a lot and i will also say that you know as a fun maybe related side ca- uh, note uh in what feels like an homage to kirsten dunce and drop dead gorgeous not only does Jenna Malone do makeup on models, because she's a makeup artist, that's her role. She's not a model, oh, she's a makeup no. artist. She also does makeup on the deceased at a at a morgue. <laughs> uh, so that was giving me, she does not tap dance while she does it. So <laughs> points still go to oh. Kirsten Dunst on that. But so yeah, it's 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 something that um that I'm very, very sad Rebecca didn't see to Damn fully it. weigh in on. And our apologies to George Northey in particular. Cause, <laughs> that cause, handsome bastard. Because we know we know you wanted to have Rebecca's thoughts on it. And so we'll just have to have to take it offline. Once we'll Rebecca take it sees a neon demon, I'll, uh, I'll then she'll, about it. she'll weigh in. I'll, my what's up with me. Yeah. Um in Drive we had the satin jacket mm-hmm. style icon. In this movie's about fashion. Any fashion takeaways? Uh, Christina Hendricks wears these great palazzo pants. Love those. <laughs> I have a weak spot for those. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Okay. I mean, everything. Everyone looks so good the entire time, you yeah. know. But no, there, there's no one. There's no one thing that like douchebags will watch and be like, I want that. And... Okay, I almost bought one of those jackets. <laughs> a note to sell. <laughs> how do you? How should I watch this? Should I go to the theater and see it? Should I make sure nobody's watching me watch it? Um, I feel like it's better to watch in a theater just because, I mean, not only is it visually really, really stunning, um, but it's very, very silent and slow at times. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's the kind of thing that if you wait to watch at home, you will just fidget and play on your phone the entire time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if you want to actually watch the movie, I do recommend seeing it in theaters. And, you know, and credit to Jesse Hawthorne Fix and his warnings about the end credits. 
Um, they're, the end credits are actually gorgeous. Um, so I did not mind staying and watching the end credits and they go by kind of quickly. Um, so I recommend seeing it in theaters and I recommend just letting it wash over you. So you're giving it a? Consuming moderation. All right. Uh, Neon Demon is out now and it's rated R for disturbing violent content, bloody images, graphic nudity, and a scene of aberrant sexuality and <laughs> language. <laughs> aberrant sexuality, guys. That's the moneymaker. Um, movie number two. Number two is Tickled, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. week. A journalist intends to document an international tickling competition for kicks. Instead, he finds a bizarre and even threatening world created by a bully with deep pockets. I've made a career out of looking at the weird and bizarre side of life. Uh, It's quite a kick. So when I discovered a strange video online, I knew I'd found my next story. CET, competitive endurance tickling group we got here. Competitive endurance tickling. It was one of the strangest sports I'd seen. So I told Jane O'Brien Media I'd like to do an interview. Instead of getting a yes or no, I got this. Association with a homosexual journalist is not something we will embrace. Shame on you. Little gay Kiwis. Regards, Jane O'Brien Media. It was hard to take the insult seriously, considering the sport did seem slightly (laughs) gay. Holy shit, this movie. Holy shit, this movie. Guys, this is one of those movies that, like, the second you watch it, you're like, I need to tell everybody I've ever met to maybe watch this movie right fucking now so Without that we can talk about it. Without anything about it. You don't want to tell them anything about it. We're going to keep this review very vague we're because... Gonna, we're going to try. We don't want to ruin it for you. But there's, there's a lot of twists and turns. Definitely something to watch. Um, so it's through the uh, point of view of this um, uh, journalist, um, and he's a uh, filmmaker, David Ferrier. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about him? Well, I will say that when we first, I, I watched it with Scott like last night and toward the beginning, Scott was like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He immediately was like, mm, I don't know that I trust this guy. Um, and uh, and so and, and you know he does definitely put himself um, as the face of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not the kind of documentary where there's someone behind the camera. It's very much in front of it. And, um, you know, and, you know, we see his background that he's kind of, you know, they had that intro reel of him like talking to Justin Bieber. And, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like, you know, maybe this is not like a, this is not like a Peabody winning journalist. Right. Um, it seems like maybe he has like some tabloidy vibes. It's like the New Zealand TMZ. Exactly. But then what, what starts to happen once he begins to pursue this story about tickling competitions, uh, it's... I feel like after that, you he's just you. You're like, okay, well, I don't whatever his background is, and however seedy he might be as a journalist, like this is what it is. Does and, not matter. Yeah, and like that, it's it's now irrelevant. Um, and uh, and and you know, it's it, it's it's worth mentioning as well that there have been you guys may have seen in if you read uh, you know movie websites. There was a confrontation at a recent screening of this movie in L.A. in which two of the people that he uh, that this this guy tracks down and talks to on this very, very, very wild, surprising investigation showed up and were trying to, you know, threaten him with further legal action at the premiere at this event yeah oh, okay. and um and uh and but the funny, but they did not they did not say that anything and they've also set up a website 
to attempt to disprove the entire movie. Oh, interesting. Which, when you see the movie, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you also think, like, of course, I'm sure it's entirely fabricated bullshit. Right. And the things that these two guys were saying at the screening were just gibberish. Uh, just insane, insane. Just the same things that happen in the movie where they're just saying things like, you can't be filming in here. And they're mm-hmm, like, well, mm-hmm. it's a private establishment and we have the permission of the owner, so we can. And and just in front of the audience. But that's the thing, though, because, you know, I think we've all been burned by so many, like by, by catfish, by, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like like when Scott, at one point while we're watching it, turned to me and he was like, is this going to be like the fucking Blair Witch Project? <laughs> because this seems too good to be true. Right, right. Um, and, you know, and that's something that, you know, I think everyone has to wrestle with as they're watching it. But um, but I think that, you know, from what we know so far, it, it's the real deal. And some of it feels too crazy to even be fiction. Yeah, I think that, that again, question when you're originally sort of questioning his journalistic ethics, mm-hmm. um, I, I even feel like as he goes down this rabbit hole with this story, um, he is actually kind of on the more conservative side. Mm. Like I felt like there are points where he could have been more confrontational mm-hmm. and he's actually like pretty respectful of the topic and the subjects. Um, so it's not something where he turns out to be this kind of like aggressive sort of journalist um, that you can't get behind. Right. But yeah, the story like just completely um, sh- immediately shoots from what you uh, expect. Yeah. And, um, and we see him really wrestling with how invasive to be while he is investigating this. Yeah. And, um, you know, and even though my like hatred of conflict was like no don't go in there and don't try to talk to them right now mm-hmm. but then you're like well of course he has to this is what he's doing right. this is the name of the game and um and i should say that these guys who came out to the screening were not saying that any of it was fictitious they were just claiming that like he didn't have the right to show things that he shows in the movie mm. uh Interesting. so and and then just kind of trying to bypass the actual allegations entirely and just be like well, he doesn't even have the right. He doesn't even have, this isn't even, he, you shouldn't even have seen this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, which is a weird thing to do and just draws more attention to it. It's like that Barbara Streisand rule. The Barbara Streisand it's rule? It's like a Barbara, Barbara oh, Streisand rule on the internet. Those. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> for like putting what her house, where her house was and what it was worth. And then the fact that she like put out that lawsuit brought more attention to where her house is and what it's worth. Right. Or like when Oprah formally denied that she and Gail were lesbian lovers. thus right. like inaugurating the golden age of Oprah Gail lesbian rumors. <laughs> exactly. So uh, just don't comment, people. Just don't yeah, comment. Just let it go. Let it go. People forget quickly. So this movie, um, binge it here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I wish that we could go into more depth about this, but you know, it's it's. I will say that you know, so Rebecca was asking me if this is the kind of thing that she could watch in an environment where people could possibly see her watching it. And the funny thing is that although there is no, there's no nudity, there's Mm-mm. no sex, but just the footage of these these attractive, muscle bound young men tickling one another. Yeah is so pornographic it really is it feels so you like you're like i'm watching porn but i'm not but i am it's such a strange thing mm-hmm. and you know and the thing you know if you're if you're looking for an in-depth um sex psychological study of of tickling as a fetish you're really not going to get it here um that is initially what this journalist was interested in and then things turn into something else entirely it turns into more of a thriller mm-hmm. um but uh but it's it, you know but it's it's but then he you know finds a way to add for tickling as like a metaphor for the way that the powerful can can manipulate the less mm-hmm. powerful uh so yeah i mean this is this is a movie that i could not 
recommend highly enough that you see sooner than later before you Definitely. have anything spoiled about it yeah for before you. the spoilers come out and it's very short it's only an hour and a half long yeah it's quick and it is it is you will just have your mouth be hanging open throughout the entire movie tickled is the pick of the week we give it a binge it it's out now and rated r for language and that's gonna bring us to our last movie of the week which is free state of jones as the Civil War divides the nation, a poor farmer from Mississippi leads a group of rebels against the Confederate army. From this day forward, we declare the land north of the Pascagoula Swamps to be a free state of Jones. They're poor farmers, deserters, who, frankly, sir, don't have much to lose. The winds are shifting. And you can't fight with this time. So uh, it's hard to go into this one without thinking, having like the immediate reaction of like, this is a white savior tale. This is like a movie about slavery in the South and it's all about um, this white guy, Jones. We <laughs> 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 were calling it Free Straight and White. First of all, his name is not Jones. No? Jones is the name of the place in Mississippi. Oh. His name is... <laughs> Clearly I haven't <laughs> seen this So one. there's this guy, uh, Jones, <laughs> and uh, he's got a savior complex. No, his name is Newton Knight. Okay. That sounds great. Um, so on top of that already um, weird feeling about the movie without having seen it, mm-hmm. when I was looking at the info for it, I was looking at IMDb, and of the top 13 billed actors, only two of them seem to be of color. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's about an armed uprising against the Confederacy. So is this basically a white version of this year's Sundance hit, Birth of a Nation? You know, I think it's certainly going to be the less remembered um, movie this year mm-hmm. about an armed <laughs> uprising against the Confederacy. Uh, you know, it's worth pointing out that it is inspired by a true story, albeit um, a very contested story, like pretty much all historical stories are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is there was this man, Newton Knight, and, you know, and he did sort of organize this, you know, he, he had been... A, a a nurse he'd been like a, a, a war medic and then once he'd just seen enough he started to organize this uprising to um this sort of just this resistance there was like an entire kind of um community and it, it was integrated and you know he believed in equality among the races and um and he and you know he kind of initially started off trying to protect widows and children in um, the Confederacy who were just being repeatedly targeted for their resources by those roving bands of troops who were like, oh, we need more of your food and more of your clothes for the troops. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he was, you know, and they were just exploiting um, these women and children who'd been left behind while the the husbands were, were fighting and dying in the battlefields. So... You know, this is a guy who, if we're to believe this movie, you know, just had seen enough hard times and, and, and you know, meant really well and just had had enough. And, you know, and so he did do this organized uprising where he defected and started to, you know, kill these guys if he had to, to protect the um, the exploited, whether that be widows, children or uh, or slaves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, so, so, you know, it's hard to watch it and be like, oh, fuck that guy. You know, but it certainly, you know, you do, it does beg the question of like, well, why is this yet another, even though it might be a true story and even though it might be, you know, it sounds like a good movie and interesting enough premise for a movie, you know, it's just easier for historical stories with white hero characters to get financed and to get right. made. With big name Hollywood yeah. actors. And, um, you know, and this is not even a major, this is, this is distributed in the U.S. by STX, which is not by any means, you know, mm-hmm. a major studio. 
So, and I think that, you know, so this this is not like, oh, well, Warner Brothers is only going to make, you know, a Civil War movie that has a white hero. Right. So I don't think it's one of those. Um, you know, I do think that, you know, he, he is very much sort of an emblematic white savior in a Civil War era movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think there's certainly a lot more to him than there is to like Brad Pitt's white savior character in 12 Years a Slave. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, but that's because in this movie, Matthew McConaughey is actually the protagonist. Um, you know, and he he has his um, he has a relationship that he begins to form with the character played by Gugu Mbatha-Rao, Gugu, who plays a Creole slave. Um, where they begin to develop a romantic relationship, and it just made me ask questions to myself about like, well, like would would she in this context even have sort of like the correct agency to decide mm-hmm. to let this white man have a sexual relationship with her? And, you know, Very and, good job, Jason. Very nice. Thank you. And she had been, you know, and that she already had been the master of the house that she was in, raped her regularly. And, you know, and so they addressed that. But then it's like, oh, well, McConaughey's all right, though. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so it's, you know, so I, I had to question that aspect of it. That also actually leads to one of the interesting things about the movie, which is that he has a wife who's played by Carrie Russell. And uh-huh. then they kind of separate for some time while he's off building this kind of militia resistance. And then later, uh, they are reunited after he's already taken up with Gugu. And then he just kind of lives with both of his wives for a while. Um, oh. and uh, But not in like a sister wives kind of way. <laughs> just like the wives kind of, you know, make friends. And they just kind of live in this kind of unconventional family. Yeah. Um, Carrie yeah. Russell, always great to see. She's, sure. she's developed so much as an actress. She has a stillness to her these days um, after the Americans. That's very fascinating mm-hmm. to watch. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. And then when Gugu was first introduced, she is introduced as a healer um, because um, <laughs> McCon- magical, magical, if you will. She's uh. a little, she's a little magical. Um, and you know, in, in, as the film progresses, McConaughey is surrounded almost entirely by slaves. Um, and so you know, so it's not like it's a movie that only has white faces. Okay, it just so happens that you know this man was white, and he is the one who kind of galvanized all this and organized it into action. I and- mean, there's nothing wrong with the story of like about a resistance group. You know, it just seems like um, it's a weird time currently yeah. in our yeah. current political climate to be like look about all the good things white people did in the civil war yeah i know uh it's not great timing and also uh they in and, and they, and they 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 tackle some things that are that are you know very relevant today things like voter fraud and voter suppression mm-hmm. um and uh they uh and the funny thing that comes up there is that you know it they the people who were more abolitionist leaning at the times were republicans yeah and so, you know, an uneducated viewer will watch this movie and be like, yeah, Republicans, <laughs> because they're like, oh, those Democrats won't let us vote. And, you know, oh, we're just trying to work oh, no. good Republicans. And uh, so it's times. like different times, different very, parties. very, very different parties. Um, did what? How was the movie in general? As a movie, without all the, if you can separate it's, it. From... It's very, it's very dramatically inert. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, it's kind of a snooze. Kind of like a... It's a slog to get through. It takes, <laughs> it takes way too huge a bite out of history. Okay. Um, its scope is a uh, very ambitious. Um, so you know, it 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 covers several very eventful years in like the 1860s. <laughs> um, and uh, but here's the thing that I'll say that's good about it. So you know, for a while you feel like okay, this is like every other like Civil War slavery theme film I've ever seen. 
um, you know, albeit with this, you know, this angle of like uprising. But every movie right. about, is about an uprising. There's no movie where the, you know, the, at least that's made in the last 20, 25 years that isn't about that specific idea, some way of resisting and defying the, you know, the oppression of the order. Um, however, what this movie does do, and I will give hats off to it for this, because I didn't even really know very much about this, is it talks about how little actually changed after Lincoln, quote unquote, freed the slaves. Mm. Uh, so it kind of hits that point where like, you know, the, pro- the war is over, the proclamation's been signed, and everyone's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then they're like, a few months later, and they're like, okay, so what are these things called apprenticeships? Uh, and then it goes into just like how quickly, um, you know, African-American men and women and children were right back into situations that looked almost exactly like slavery because these fucking slippery ass states, the same way they do today, uh-huh. Bring it are back. just finding some Bring way to do a right around law to avoid whatever's happening in Washington, federal legislation, whatever's trying to make them change their ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's been going on forever. It's well, the story of the country. Painted that picture. So. They absolutely paint that picture. That was really enlightening. But it takes on so much. Not only does it run the entire basically span of the Civil War and then some, but there is what should have been a footnote that turns into a dual timeline narrative about how in the 1950s or 60s, like the great 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 grandson of Newton Knight and um, and this and Gugu's character. Um, was being arraigned um, because he married a white woman and they were not sure if he did or did not have black blood in him and mm. thus was in violation of their laws. Um, and so, and this is something that they, they check in. Like, well, we're just like Civil War, Civil War, Civil War, 50s courthouse. Civil War, Civil War, Civil War, oh, 50s courthouse. Interesting. So, you know, which is like, it's an interesting footnote, but like, you know, okay, sure. After all, after all this, it turns out that like they were like, we don't actually know whether or not he is pure white because you know his his great great grandfather had this unusual arrangement where he lived with both of these women mm. um which feels like sort of like a weird tabloidy finish to the story yeah, yeah. like it's basically it turns into like a fucking maury episode <laughs> where like who's the great great grandfather uh you are not the father yeah except for it's who's the great great grandmother right um so it has some points to make which if you are thoughtful enough it'll paint a picture for you but at the same time it's still coming with a lot of baggage what are you going to give this movie um you know i mean part of me wanted to in terms of entertainment value you know part of me wants to say send it back because i really it was just incredibly dull um but you know it 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 has some interesting important pieces of history to share it also has i will say one fucking kick-ass action scene that caught me completely off guard and just made my jaw drop. Uh, oh. So, yeah. So it has its fitfully effective moments. Um, but I, you know, yeah. So I'm just going to say I'm going to leave it at that and say consume moderation. Okay. Uh, Free State of Jones is out now. And it's rated R for brutal battle scenes and disturbing graphic images. And that's it. That's it. Uh, we'll be back next week with more movies. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at Fight Balance. Jason is at the Jason Leroy. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever it is you get your uh, podcasts on. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.